Hey everybody, welcome to episode 47 of Junior Golf Keys. I'm your host, Matt, and I really appreciate you guys tuning in this week. Uh, if you hadn't had the opportunity yet, um, I would ask you to, if you're a new listener to the show, um, after you're done with the show, if you wouldn't mind leaving a review, uh, leave some notes, would really appreciate getting your feedback. Um, if you've been listening to the show and you haven't had an opportunity yet to uh, give some feedback uh, and leave a review, I would also ask that... Uh, you folks do the same. I'd really appreciate it. Um, you know, when you guys review the podcast and share the podcast um, and, you know, give me some feedback, it really helps me understand uh, what we need to continue to do to make this thing better so that we can bring you guys some guests that are really going to help you in your journey. So uh, really appreciate it. And don't forget to connect with us on social media. You can also email me at juniorgolfkeys at gmail.com. Uh, but excited for today's show. I've got a, a buddy of mine that I actually grew up with in middle school, uh, first part of high school when I was living in the Atlanta, Georgia area, Mark Buckles. Um, Mark is a sales professional currently, but he's one of the most well-rounded athletes that I've ever been around um, and still striving uh, to be a competitor in the athletic space. Um, he's currently training for an Ironman. Uh, Mark was a four-year starter on the Clemson soccer team, and he started for two years on the Clemson football team. Uh, Two-sport athlete. He's the first uh, Clemson Tiger to earn all ACC academic honors in two sports. Uh, On the football team, in those two seasons that he started, he went 88 for 88 in extra points and went 37 for 57 in career field goals. Um, and then was also a standout on the soccer team where he started there for four years. Um, you know, not only was he an outstanding uh, endurance athlete from a soccer perspective and uh, endurance and physical uh, on the football side, but in 2013, just a few years after he graduated from college, uh, he qualified for the 2013 U.S. Public Links shooting rounds of 68-68 uh, to get to that. Um, like I said, he's just one of the most well-rounded athletes that I've ever been around, whether it's you know tennis or, and you may laugh about this, but intramural champions in basketball and badminton. Um, you know, he plays on a pickup uh, basketball league with some of his guys uh, at Sherwin-Williams that he works with, uh, competes hard in that space. He's run multiple, uh, or competed in multiple triathlons. Like I said, he's training for an Ironman right now. Uh, so I think this is an opportunity, somebody that would probably not be on the radar in the golf community, although he's a huge golfer and grinds it out uh, to be the best player that he can be. Uh, but just overall, from a perseverance, um, you know, addictive personality to competition, uh, just multitude of athletic uh, accomplishments, you know, somebody that I wanted to bring on the show and graciously he accepted uh, my ask and said, yeah, man, let's do it. So, um, really excited about that, but we're going to talk about, you know, kind of how he got introduced to the game of golf and we're going to dive into his athletic history and some of his accomplishments. Um, you know, talk a lot about his time at Clemson where, you know, he spent some time around Luke Hopkins who played at Clemson on the golf team and Kyle Stanley who's playing on the PGA tour now, very successful career going there. Um, we're going to talk about, 
you know, going 110% and what it means uh, to be the best at something when you're going after it. We're going to talk about uh, his philosophy on preparation, falling in love with the process. Uh, Mark is also a husband and a father of three kids, uh, three adorable kids, two little girls and one boy. So we're going to talk a lot about um, really just being effective in practice. And, you know, he doesn't have much time. Uh, but he, like I say, he's training for this Ironman. He's, you know, working on his golf game all the time. He tries to find little chunks of time where he can fit in some practice and some different things that are going to help him push towards achieving those goals. Um, so, you know, just really excited to have him on and uh, tell his story and tell his journey because I think it's going to help a lot of you parents, um, you know, that are juggling, you know, the hectic lives of a young student athlete. And it's going to help some of you players out there to uh, really give you some good advice from somebody that's been in the trenches, uh, that's really tested themselves physically and mentally, and has had a lot of success doing it. And I think you guys are going to take a lot away from this episode. So I'm really excited to get to that. But before I get to that, I want to tell you about my partner, Golf Kicks. Uh, Golf Kicks has changed the game when it comes to golf shoes. So I've got a pair of these. Uh, Basically, you've got aftermarket golf spikes that you can put on any pair of tennis shoes that's got you know a decently uh solid rubber sole and so you can take the uh flavor and functionality of you know an actual tennis shoe and put it on the golf course where you can function you know like a regular golf shoe would Um, and i think it's a great product so it's something that i use Uh, i think that it's something that you guys you sneaker heads out there that are looking to bring a little bit of you know fashion and flavor to the golf course i think that it's something that would fit for you Um, but all in all, I think it's a great product and, uh, you know, they partnered with us to give you as an audience an opportunity to, uh, you know, get some discounted prices on their really good product. So, um, if you go over to their website and, uh, which is golfkicks.com and you use the code JGK20, uh, like junior golf keys, JGK20, Uh, they'll give you 20% off of your order today. So go check them out. Um, I encourage you to, you know, make a pair, try them out. Let me know what you think. Um, You know, I'm I'm looking at building another pair myself. So uh, without further ado, you guys sit tight. We'll be right back with my interview with Mark Buckles. Yeah, sure. All right, everybody. Welcome back to this week's episode of Junior Golf Keys. Uh, I'm super excited about this week. I uh, reached out to a buddy of mine, Mark Buckles, who uh, has had a lot of success in his athletic career. Um, He's a sales professional in the working world now, but still competitively sharp and uh, athletically sound. Mark, what's happening, my man? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's good catching up with you. Um, You know, we're just talking a little bit before we got started and, um, you know, it's good to kind of reflect back on, you know, when our paths crossed and, you know, we haven't seen each other for several years. I think we ran into each other randomly at, I don't know, it was a baseball game a few years ago or something in Atlanta when I was back and uh, always good to see you and it's good to catch up. I'm excited for this conversation. You've accomplished a lot as an athlete, um, you know, while you were doing that, you know, in school um, as a student athlete. And then, you know, you've continued after school to just pursue some different athletic uh, dreams and have accomplished some things that I want to talk about because I think that it could really help this audience of young junior golfers and their families, uh, not only in their you know junior golf career, but just you know being a well-rounded athlete and some of the things that it takes to do that. Um, so I'm excited for it, man. 
Sure. A good yeah. deal. Um, well, since it well. is a golf podcast, um, I want to talk about some of your athletic uh, other sports that you've played. But when it pertains to golf, can you tell us a little bit about how you got introduced to the game of golf? Yeah. Um, when I was growing up, I would just, you know, play maybe a handful of times a year. And because of my, I grew up playing baseball, uh, quite a bit. That was one of my, my go-to sports growing up. So the hand-eye coordination was there. So, um, I always enjoyed it. I always enjoyed hitting it far and I would play, like I said, just a few times a year, maybe at like a family reunion or maybe a buddy invite me out to play you know, the local par three course at River Pines there. Or, um, and I always, always enjoyed it, but I, my family, I'd either, I didn't really have the time to play because I was so focused on uh, tennis, baseball and soccer at the time. And um, so it was just kind of real spotty and I didn't really, I guess, develop a, uh, an obsession for the game until in college, actually, I was playing soccer at Clemson and was actually at a at a uh, party one night. And one of the golfers who I, I didn't know uh, came up to me and asked if I would play play a game with him. And we ended up playing, hitting it off. It was like we had been best friends forever. And at the time, he was one of the top 100 amateur golfers in the world. And we became he was crazy about soccer, came to all of our soccer games, knew who I was already. And, um, I, and then all of a sudden we developed this friendship and started hanging out every day. And I would start begging him to go to the driving range and try to improve my game and whatnot. And that's kind of where I became hooked when I started hitting balls regularly. And it was only $8 to walk nine holes at, at the walk there, there in Clemson on Lake Hartwell. And, uh, yeah, and the and the fifth tee box was only a few hundred okay. yards from my on-campus apartment. So I would just, I would literally just walk to the fifth tee box when I got some free time, you know, maybe after soccer practice in the afternoon or something like that after classes, and I would just hop onto the fifth tee box, stop into the clubhouse, pay my eight bucks to to Scott, the assistant pro there in the uh, pro shop, and then I would just keep on keep on huffing it and. Uh, yeah, I started I started keeping my handicap like shortly after playing regularly and I was like uh probably, you know, just I was around a 12 handicap I want to say when I started keeping it and I quickly kind of shot down to say a 5 handicap uh probably in less yeah. than I don't know a year or so. And then um yeah, then I just kept kept at it, kept playing, kept going to the range and uh became somewhat of a range wrap every every bit of free time during the day I was I was wanting to hit balls and um yeah so I I got to a point where I could you know go out and play with those all those uh all those Clemson guys Ben Martin Kyle Stanley Luke Hopkins uh those guys yeah. a couple of those guys are on tour now Phil Mollica yeah. he's caddying for Pat and Kazire um and became good friends with all of those guys and uh, just just fell in love with the game. The uh, Just the drive to constantly get better. You know, you're never satisfied. <laughs> it's like, oh, if yep. I could just break 80, I would be happy. And I would shoot, you know, I, shot, I remember shooting my first, like, 78 out at Walker Course 
in the first round in the 70s and I think I left yeah. like four or five shots out there so you're like dang I left four or five shots out there you know and then I'm like then I got better and better and I'm right. like man if I could just break par you know and uh <laughs> the first round I broke par at Walker course I I was even par through 13 holes and I think oh, wow. I hit like three Scrappy greens round. in wreck you know <laughs> like yeah I just yeah, and I was just slapping it around, and then I would chip it to a foot, tap it in. I was I was even par through 13, and then 14's a pretty easy par 5. Hit it in two, two-putted for birdie. Then 15's an easy par 4. Hit a wedge to, like, you know, three feet, tap it in. <laughs> 16's an easy par 5. Make birdie. Wow. And then I birdie 17 <laughs> and 18 to shoot 67. After only hitting like two or three greens in the yeah. first thirteen, I'm that's like, quite an introduction oh, wow. into okay. uh, the under par world. So, right? Yeah, absolutely. So then I just, uh, man, I kept playing. Um, funny story: me and me and Luke going into the fall of 2008, so the summer of 2008. Um, me and Luke were out there, and he was actually just coming off winning the South Carolina Am by, like, seven shots. He won the Palmetto Amateur by, like, four shots. And then he finished third in the Dogwood yep. behind Webb Simpson won it. And yep. uh, and then Danny Lee got second, and he beat, like, you know, Brian Harmon, Chris Kirk, uh, Dustin Johnson. All those guys were in that tournament. And so we're, we're practicing after he gets back from all of his travels and whatnot. We're out there one summer on the on the golf team's driving range which right. normal students aren't allowed out there right like we would always go out there late at night uh and just hit it around like i wasn't supposed to be out there and so but we're there in the summer no one's really on campus and all of a sudden the golf coach coach penley larry penley comes out there he's a legend up there um he comes out to the range and he calls luke we're just hitting balls in, in the on the on the driving range there and coach penley yells at luke and he's like hey luke get over here and i'm like luke what do i do what do i do he's like man just keep hitting it he'll see you're pretty good and he won't you know he'll know you're not just like i'm like okay whatever so i'm like nervous hitting range balls because i know coach penley's watching me and uh so luke goes over comes back and and luke was notorious for like uh okay you know, not putting in the work, like not putting in the work at practice and on the range. Like he would just kind of do enough to scrape yeah. by. He was just immensely talented. Yeah. Um, he got, I mean, he, that summer he was up to like 35th in the world amateur rankings, but coach <laughs> Finley couldn't get him to practice. And so, so anyways, I get, I get a call from the soccer coach the next day early in the morning. He's like, Hey, uh, coach uh -oh. Penley wants to see you in his office. Uh, at, you know, at, at 12 o'clock or whatever, and I'm like, oh, geez, I'm, I'm, I'm toast, you know? So I show up to the facilities and go, go into coach Penley's office. And I had never met him. And, uh, Jordan Bird yeah. was in there as well. Jonathan Bird's brother. He's the assistant coach there. And, uh, coach Penley's like, what are you doing out on my range? And, uh, I said, coach, you know, I just, I love the game. I'm just, I can't get enough of it, you know? And coach Penley's like, well, I said, you and Luke are best. He said, you and Luke are best friends. Right. And I said, yeah, yes, sir. We are, you know, we've, we've, you know, 
he comes to all the soccer games and I always yep. try to drag him out to play golf and he's like, <laughs> well, can you keep dragging him out there? And I said, I mean, yeah, I, I drag him out there as much as I can, you know? And he said, well, here's a golf bag and uh, I'm going to get you some irons too. I want you to, I want you to drag <laughs> him out awesome. here as much as you can, you know? Yeah. So I, it's funny after every, after every amateur event that I play in or play well in, I'll shoot Coach Penley and uh, Jordan a text and yeah, and just thank them for kind of – he gave me a key to the range and told me, look, you can come up there whenever you want um, and play with us. You can come play play rounds with us. That I would go up and play at the reserve with the golf team and be paired with, you know, Ben and yeah. Phil and Kyle and all those guys. And it really kind of – opened my eyes to like, you know, obviously I wasn't as good of it as them, but when I was hitting yeah. it, well, I could, I could play, you know, I could play with them. It was funny. And, I... uh, and so it, I, I, I owe a lot, I owe a lot to just that simple gesture of him saying, Hey, you know, my arms are open. You can train and practice as much as yeah. you want. Yeah. And, that's really uh, cool. I was hooked. Um, I actually know? read an article where Luke was quoted just talking about you and your determination. It was after you had qualified for the 2013 U.S. Public Links. And um, I think he might have been contacted right. just to give some thoughts. And he said, you know, he's just determined, you know, he's going to be the best um, and he's going to do something until he gets good at it. But he was talking about how, uh, you know, when you guys met, I think sophomore year, uh, you were like a 10 or 12 handicap and, he said, all of a sudden I'm visiting him after college and he shoots 68 both days that we played together. And I'm laughing going, you know, how is he beating me at my own sport? <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was a pretty funny uh, take yeah. from his perspective yeah. too. Yeah, that's funny. That was the week. That was the week. He came and visited me the week before I yeah. qualified for that U.S. Pub Links. And so uh, – yeah, I would play in these, you know, USGA events more for not necessarily. I mean, they're all shot in the darks, right? It's like 140 yep. players for three spots or whatever it is. And I, I would play in them more for like the uh, just yeah. to kind of get those the competitive heat. juices uh, going. And yeah, and uh, didn't necessarily really expect to qualify or wasn't confident to qualify and yeah, Luke came down and we played Chesity and a Chasta uh, like the week prior. And yeah, I shot like 68, 68 with him. And then my next rounds were the U.S. Pub Links qualifier at Woodmont. And it's a 36 hole qualifier. And I shot 68, 68 to shoot eight under over 36 yeah. and qualify for the U.S. Pub Links. It was like, it was kind of out of left field. And honestly, like mentally at that point, I wasn't ready. So when I went up there, like sure. I just I didn't play well. I wasn't I wasn't in the right you know headspace. Whereas now I feel like if I I'm presented with that if I'm fortunate enough with that opportunity again I'll I'll be able to you know yeah put put my yeah that was a really forward, cool accomplishment. But... I mean I remember when you did that and I you know of course you know we've all pretty much stayed connected on social media and you know see each other and kind of how their lives are playing out and stuff like that even if we don't talk every day but. I just was thinking in my own head, like, man, this guy, like, and you are truly like, you're one of the best all around athletes that I've ever been around. Um, and, you know, to watch what you accomplished at Clemson, you know, in soccer. And, you know, I know that guys, when I went through my intro and I talked about how, 
you know, some of the accomplishments Mark has had. But, I mean, to to be the stud that you were on the soccer team, and that's really what you went to Clemson for. And then how did that play out where you ended up playing football for – did you start for two years uh, as the kicker there? Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, at the um... – I guess. Well, I mean, how far back? I don't I know. Go? I mean, you played football at a younger age, um, right? But then you decided to focus more on soccer. Yeah, I actually. Yeah, so soccer was kind of my ticket from when I was like, you know, nine years old. I, I showed up to a travel team tryout, not really knowing what what would come of it. It was just one a good friend from school invited me out there and. Uh, his dad was coaching. We started traveling around the country. And ultimately, that's why I chose soccer at an early age. You know, at 13, 14 years old, I gave up the other sports, uh, serious focus, and, and chose soccer. And when we got into, like, eighth, ninth grade, um, the football coaches were always begging me. They knew I had a strong leg from soccer yeah. and were always begging me to kick for the football team in high school. And it – I just told him, I said, hey, I can't spend two or three hours at football practice. I've got to be training for soccer. I was trying to, you know, make the, you know, the U.S. youth national team and at the time. And I just didn't didn't have that type of time to stand around at practice after kicking on special teams. So our junior year, um, the kicker got kicked off uh, the football team for, you know, some bad decisions. And they were kind of stuck. We were ranked we were ranked fifth in the state and, and the team was stuck. And of course, all of our best yep. friends are on the team at the time. And they're begging me to come out and like, Hey, we really, <laughs> yeah. we really this need is no you, longer you know? a want. It's a need. And, uh, so I, I <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I told him, I said, look, I told him the same thing. I can't, can't be a practice for three hours. And so, cause I've got to get home and train for soccer. And so they basically, they would let me show up, and at the front end of practice and do special okay. teams. And then I would go home and train uh, for soccer. And I ended up, you know, being all state my junior and senior year for football and started yep. getting recruited by a bunch of football schools. And so the week before I committed to Clemson to play soccer when I was 15 and the week before signing day, I went, I took an official visit up to Vanderbilt. Um, they were the only team that, continued to pursue me even though I told him I was like strongly committed to Clemson and uh I go up the week before signing day like the end of January uh my I guess my senior year of high school and <laughs> Jay Cutler's my host and a guy named Matt okay. and a guy named Matt Vance and you know they give me the full Monty just you know just hard, hard sales pitch about how their kicker, they had gone like seven and five the prior year in the SEC and they had lost like four or five wow. games by less than a field goal or by wow. less than like a couple field goals. And they just had zero confidence in their kicker. And they're like, man, you will be starting all three kickoff place kicking and punting, you know, your first year in the SEC. Like what more could you ask for type deal? And so and Vanderbilt obviously academically was big for me too, uh, just a sensational school. So Bobby Johnson was the head coach. He pulled me into his office at the end of the visit and he's like, Hey, we want you so bad. You know, we're, we don't usually offer specialists, but we're, we're going to offer you a full ride. We yeah. think you're going to be our guy for four years, you know? And uh, so I guess the, the soccer coach got wind, got wind of it. 
um, through like my travel team soccer coach that I was thinking about giving up soccer altogether mm-hmm. and just pursuing football in college. And so I think he made a, a call over to Tommy Bowden and said, Hey, I really need you to call this guy and tell yeah. him you're going to let him do both here. And, uh, so I get a call from Tommy Bowden and he says, Hey, Mark, you know, uh, I've seen some of your film. We really want to, you know, give you the opportunity to do both here at Clemson. If, if you're willing, you know, so that was enough for me to say like, yeah, all right, let's stick to my commitment and let's try to go, go do both. So that's kind of how that worked out. So I'd go into, I'd go into football camp uh, every year with the football team. They use, we usually reported like two weeks before this uh, soccer team right. would report. Cause they're both in the fall, both fall sports um, at Clemson. And so I would go into football camp two weeks before. And then once soccer started, I would go with them exclusively uh, and then I would kick throughout the spring as well. Cause soccer would train in the mornings in the spring yep. and football would train in the afternoons. So it just kind of worked out scheduling wise. And essentially I would just kind of show them like my abilities. And, uh, they had a younger kicker at the time. It was like a sophomore and, uh, he was a Lou Groza finalist, I think one year. And so they, they kind of knew he was going to be the starter for a couple years. So, uh, once they realized that I was like the incumbent starter, uh, then that's when, you know, things kind of heated up and I, I, I ended up starting in, yeah. you know, 2007, 2008 and led the ACC in points. Yeah, it was really cool. Seven, so, uh, yeah. it just kind of, just kind of all uh, worked out. I think you still hold, do you mm-hmm. still hold the extra point record? You batted a thousand there. Was I think you were 88 Maybe. for 88 in extra points. Yeah, I did yeah, I, I don't know if it's still the record, but yeah, fortunately didn't miss one. I had a I had a pretty good snapper and holder, and uh, I think if extra points are missed, oftentimes it's uh it's an operational issue. <laughs> the kicker, <laughs> yeah, a, a kicker issue. So, yeah, now, I, sure. the kicker always get gets blamed, but yeah. a lot of yeah. times it's an operational um, issue. Well, I mean, for those of you listening, I think it's pretty cool to hear the story of somebody that you know, had the opportunity to play both soccer and football at a high level, but obviously this is a golf podcast, but we're talking about the, you know, U S public links, you qualifying for that, but I want to get away from maybe just like the accomplishments themselves and talk about, I mean, and there's, that's not to discredit any of them because you've, you have achieved a lot, but you know, right now you're training for an Ironman. You've run multiple triathlons. Like <laughs> I, I'm just curious. And I read this somewhere about you in an article, um, somebody making a quote about it might've even been Katie, your wife uh, talking about your addictive personality to competition, or it may have been yourself talking about that. Like, what is, what does that mean? Like, what, how does that drive you or what's your whole mindset around competition? Oh man. I, I just, I don't know. I just love to compete. I think competition brings us together and, uh, I've always, it's all, it's always been friendly with me. So, um, you know, deep down, I, I, there's, I want to beat everyone and and what I'm, whatever endeavor I'm, I'm playing against them in, but it's always, it's always friendly. Like I'm going to put my best foot forward. I hope you put your best foot forward and, and I hope I'm better than you in the end. Um, but uh, you know, my youth soccer coach, 
he did an incredible job, you know, at, I mean, nine, 10 years old, just instilling like, Hey, if you want to be good at something, you've got to work, you know? And the, the one thing he would always tell us is, uh, like, Hey, how, how good do you want to be? If you want to be great, there's always someone out there that's going to be working harder than you, you know? And, and that really like resonated with me. Like if I, if I want to be the best at something, so for me, it was soccer. So if I wanted to be the best is an hour a day, like training out in my front yard, banging balls off the wall is, is an hour enough. I'm sure there's someone out there that's training an hour and a half and getting 50% better than me. Right. So that kind of ingrained in my head and uh, like golf wise, you know, I got an incredibly late start relative to, you know, my peers at Clemson, like that golf team at Clemson, they had been playing their whole life. All the PGA tour pros, they had been playing their whole life. And, you know, as funny or as silly as it sounds, I'm thinking to myself when I'm at Clemson trying to be the best golfer that I can be, you know, (laughs) while doing the two other sports, um, I'm thinking to myself, like, man, like these, like the pro players, the good pro players, they're getting at least four rounds a week in at all these PGA Tour tournaments. So whether it's practice or competition, these guys are practicing, you know, a boatload they're putting in a lot of time so if i want to get better and if i want to be on that level or close to that level i got to put in a lot of time so he did i mean he did a tremendous job and i i use that in in everything like for whatever reason when when i want to be good at something in my mind i'm always thinking like uh if if i want to be great at this then there's someone out there training harder than me my competition who ultimately i'm gonna play you know or or compete against they're they're practicing harder than me you know and 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 that that kind of drove me to put in more time put in more work and that i've done a lot of i've done some personal training with young kids as well for soccer and i try my best to like you know get that across to them you know like if you touch the ball 5,000 times a day, you know, there's people out there, you know, you're in the state probably and on your club team in the state, certainly in the U S certainly all over the world, you know, they're touching the ball even Mm -hmm. more. So how great do you want to be, you know, like how good do you want to be at this sport? It's a decision. And a lot of people don't, you know, they don't necessarily process that. Oh yeah. I want to be a great, I want to be a great golfer. I want to be a great tennis player, whatever it may be. But they they have to understand there's people out there that are working harder than you. And until you decide you want to outwork them, you know, then uh, then that's what yeah. it takes to yeah. be. To yeah, be I remember having this conversation with know? my dad and he had somebody that he leaned on when he was growing up playing golf. And he said something very similar to him, which was kind of what you just alluded to, where he said, you know, when you're out there practicing and, you know, it's starting to get dark uh, and you're thinking about packing it up and going home for the day, just think about the the fact that there is somebody out there. There will always be somebody out there because of different time zones, you know, all around the world that is still going to be working when you pack it up. And so 
you know, you just have to make oh, a yeah. decision and, you know, think about that before you make that final call. Like, have I really left it all out there and put in the work that I need to, to make sure that I'm going to be the best that I'm going to be. Yeah, absolutely. And now, now I've got, you know, I've got three young kids, so it's really difficult for me to have time to like, like I only probably play maybe one round of golf. I'm, I'm lucky yeah, if I yeah. play one round of golf a week. Right. So yeah. I've got to find, I've got to find other time, whether it's putting in time at the range or whether it's, you know, chipping and putting, I've got to find other time where I can, you know, sneak out, you know, whether it's late at night, right before, after I put the kids down in the summertime when the days are longer, where I can get 30 minutes or an hour worth of putting done, or, you know, I've got to find, I got to find different time to where I can sneak, sneak that in. And it's, it's not just on the golf course, you know, it's also, you know, flexibility and core work and uh, stretching and, you know, staying strong and nimble. So it can be, it can be something as simple as, you know, core work, flexibility work, trunk twists, like in the, in the, you know, in the bedroom or in the living room or, or whatever it may be to keep your, you know, keep those muscles sharp and, and, uh, you know, ready to take that to the golf course as well. So, now as time has evolved, I can't necessarily put as much time into in in on the golf course, let's say, because I've got, you know, so many obligations with with three young kids and, and a wife and everything uh, that I have to like mentally I justify, you know, the push ups and the core work that I do at home. I treat it like, yeah. OK, I'm getting better. You know, I'm getting better at golf. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of my way of, of of attacking it. But mentally, it's always for me, it's always the thought process of. Yeah, no matter how much time I put in, even if I put in like five hours a day, is there someone yeah. out there that's right. working harder than me? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, what I definitely mean? know what you mean. I mean, uh, I think one of the I don't know if I would call it cliche, but one of the things that, you know, us as people that are teaching young athletes or, you know, different coaches that are out there always talk about, you know, giving it 110%. Um, but sometimes I wonder like how that translates to the young athletes mind uh, without showing them. So, I mean, you've talked through some of the things that you're doing, but can you maybe just laser in on like, if you were talking to a young athlete right now, what, what does it mean for them to give 110%? Hmm. Man, that's, that is a, that is a really popular cliche and that's a, a really yeah. tough question to answer. I think that the young athletes got to decide, like uh, I ask all my, all the students that I personally train, you know, obviously it's their parents reaching out to me. They want their child to get better. Or maybe the child came to the parent and said, hey, I want some personal training. And every time my first session with them and oftentimes, you know, throughout multiple sessions, I say, hey, yeah. how far do you want to take this thing? Like, do you want to sure. do you want to play college? Do you want to play professionally? Sure. If you don't, that's fine. Do you know? But if you want to get to college, you got to realize there's a very, very select percentage 
and there there is stats out there and it's very uh, it's mind-boggling actually it's like one in millions that are, are in a particular sport actually make it and are able to play in college and then it's an even bigger number when you go to you mm-hmm. know when you try to get to the pros so it's like how far do you want to take this and if you do if it if the stat was one in a million let's say make it from high school to college and you're telling me you want to be playing in college you got to work yeah. outwork those other million yeah that's a great visual you know what i mean like you got to outwork a million other kids to yeah. to to be that one in the million that is able to play in college or to be that one in a few hundred million that's able to play professionally you know and then golf specifically i mean my goodness there's only a couple hundred guys that have their PGA tour cards every year and they're just fighting and scrapping. Yeah. Trying to, I was just trying talking to just keep about job. that with, um, you know, so. yesterday I was having that conversation. So it was two weeks ago, uh, the corn Ferry event out at TPC Colorado. And they had, I think it was 256 guys come out for the Monday and, and they split it to two <laughs> courses and there's, so there's eight spots four at each course. One of the courses that what made it was 62, 63, and I think there was a five-way tie for 64. So what is that? Four of those – no, three of those guys Jeez. that shot 64 didn't even make it um, into the you know tournament that week. And the other course was just the same. I think it was like 63, 64, and like four or five, 65. So a couple of those guys didn't make it. So, I mean – and that's that's just the Monday right. qualify. That's just to get in the tournament. That doesn't give you status for any no. multi- any other multiple tournaments. Yeah, I mean, my buddy Luke, he uh, he went in. He got burnt out after college. He went into the corporate world for like two or three years, and then I mean, he could have had sponsors lined up with his amateur ranking. Like he would have had plenty yeah. of financial backing, but he was just burnt out. So he yeah. goes into the corporate world for two or three years. Still has all the talent in the world. And people actually kind of beg him to play professionally and, and say, yeah. hey, here's the money. You need to do this because they knew how yeah. good he was. And uh, so he plays professionally for like three or four years. He's like top five in the money list on the Swing Thought Tour, one of the mini tours, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, each year. Goes into mm-hmm. Q school. I think the first year – he missed getting to second stage by like two shots. The second year he missed getting the final stage by one shot. Um, Actually, he went out to Utah another year. He shot like 69, 62, like 70, 72 shot like 16 or 17 under and missed it by one shot going to final stage. So it's like, but I mean, Luke's got all the talent in the world, and I have no doubt, like, he could have made it if he if he put in the work, you know? There, it's like, which is going to be better? Is, is it the talent piece or is it the hard work? And I think, you know, nine times out of ten, hard work is yep. going to beat, beat out yeah, talent. Yeah, I agree. Every single, yep. you know, every time. And uh, And then you've got those special – that special breed, you know, the top tier players in the world that have both, you know, yeah. the Tiger Woods, the John Rahm, the McElroy, they, they've got, they, un, they've got the understanding of what it takes to be great and they put in the for hard sure. work and yeah, they've also sure. got a Well, and talent, I think I want to go back to something that you said, cause I think it's really important. I mean, the whole, the whole uh, idea behind this podcast is 
to just put real information out there for people. It's tough to make it, right? And so here are some good things that you need to be paying attention to and you need to be doing uh, to get to these next levels, like you said, whether it's college or professional. But I love what you said about asking the, the athletes that you're training where they want to take it um, and that there's nothing wrong with their answer. And I think that's something that, at least in my experience with some young athletes, um, has always been a challenge for them is because, you know, of maybe some outside pressures, whether it be mom and dad or, you know, different peers or different stuff like that, where, you know, there's an expectation that I've got to be a professional golfer. And, you know, I think that the, the right. ultimate goal is to be happy. Right. And so if you're going to be happy pursuing mm. that and, you know, that's what you love to do, then that's an awesome goal. And here's what you need to do to get there. But if you don't and you just want to have fun playing golf and you want to get better, that's all right, too. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I think. But I don't think that kids, you know, at a young age, I certainly didn't. Yeah. I just kind of fell into it. I don't think they fully kind of comprehend how far they want to take it or how how they don't think in their head like, oh, I want right. – they might say it, right? They might say, I want to be – I want to play professionally. Okay, well, talk to me about that. What's it going to take for you to get there? And uh, and oftentimes, like when, when I'm training, doing personal training with kids – I'm trying to understand, okay, how much are the parents pushing them to the personal training and how much do they really want to like, how much do they want to be yeah. there and, and how great do they want to be? And that's why I always ask that question to the kids that I do individual work yeah. with is like, how, how good do you want to be? Like, do you want to be the best player on your team? Do you want to be the best player, you know, in the state? Do you want to play in college? Yeah. Is that something you really want? Okay. If it is, this is how this is what we have to do, right? So my 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 youth soccer coach, he was a genius at creating competition, and it was amongst it was amongst uh, just training, right? So like juggling the soccer ball is probably the best thing you can do as a young soccer player to improve your touch and technical ability, because you're getting a comfort level on the ball that you really can't do anything else. Like you can't go right. shoot for an hour and, and get much better. Uh, you need to be touching the ball regularly. So what my youth soccer coach did, he literally would make like homework sheets for everyone on the entire team. And we had to log our best, like juggling high yep. each day, you know, um, each day at home. And then we had to bring those sheets to practice. And then he would have like juggling tests. Well, it became somewhat of a competition amongst the team, obviously, because you wanted to beat out your buddies and right, you wanted right. to have the juggling record for the week. Right. So that was a, that was kind of a goal, a very, very small goal, but it was the coach was brilliant enough to center it around right. like the training aspect of it. Right. It's easy for a coach to say, Oh, I want to go win every game this season, but what's sure. the process in getting there. Right. So, and, and, for pretty much every athlete, the process of that athlete being the best in an individual or a team sport is finding a way to enjoy training and enjoy and love the game. So with three young kids, that's what I'm trying. I'm trying to expose them right now to as many sports as I possibly can and make it as fun for them as I possibly can. Like my four-year-old says she wants to be a pro <laughs> yeah. tennis player. I don't know where that came from. 
but <laughs> I don't know why, but like, I don't know why she decided that. But so when we go up to the tennis courts, I can just tell like her, her focus level is, is crazy sure. compared to my six-year-old, you know? And my six-year-old, she loves going to the golf course and banging range balls. But when they want to leave, like the other, like last week, it was hot. They probably only hit like 20 yeah. balls. And they're like, let's go to the pool, daddy. <laughs> I'm like, all right, let's go to yeah, the pool. Yeah. I had fun with you guys, you know. And uh, I think at, at a young age, you have to create a love for the game that's going to endure. You know, you don't want to you don't want to pressure them. And, and mm-hmm. uh, it's got to yeah, be sure. their decision, right? Otherwise, it's gonna. Otherwise, it's gonna lead to burnout. There were plenty of soccer got soccer players that I played with that were great, great players. I mean, tremendous players. But everything was coming from mom and dad as far as like pressuring them into working hard. And they did. I mean, they worked hard. They they did a tremendous job. But when it came time to kind of get to that next level, all of their motivation was outside motivation they didn't have the internal motivation to kind of make it to the next level whereas I feel like my parents never pressured me at all to practice in fact there was one there was one summer I came back from from region camp uh like best players in the in the southeast for soccer and I was just burned out it was a long summer I'd been playing tons of games and I, I, I literally probably didn't go outside and touch a ball for like three or four days in a row, which was mind boggling to my parents at the time. And my dad was outside working in the yard and he's like, Mark, don't you think you should be training? And it like, I mean, this was when I was like 15 years old and it was honestly, it was the only time I ever remember my mom or dad ever saying like, you should be practicing yeah, harder yeah. or you should be working harder, you know? And it was because all of my motivational drive came internally. It was something that I loved to do and I wanted to be good at like all the different sports that I did. And so I, it was all internal motivation, which I think benefited me yeah. in every sport yeah. in the long run, uh, you know, and same thing with the Ironman. Like I, a lot of people, you know, they have accountability partners and, uh, they have to go train with someone. I've done two half Ironmans and now I'm trying to do a full in November, um, the longest endurance race in the world. And uh, everything is internal. I haven't, I haven't trained with anyone for any of those Ironmans. It's like, I want to, I want to find out for myself how, what kind of barriers I can over physical barriers I can overcome and, and what, yeah, yeah. you know, how, how do I um, get there? You know? Well, you talk about the process and that's one of the things that I was going to ask you about just falling in love with the process instead of like the end result or the end destination. So I'm curious if you could go into that a little bit more, like if, you know, you talk about the difference between internal drive and, you know, external motivation from parents or, you know, whoever's around, but you know, if, if somebody wants to be better and they want to understand more about what it's going to take to get there. Now you talked about like, you know, making it fun and enjoyable. You give the example of your girls out on the driving range and uh, them kind of shifting their focus and wanting to go to the pool. But what would you tell young athletes about just falling in love with the process? Like what, what does that mean? 
Oh man, I, I would say for me, I was always, uh, I was always idolizing. I always learned by watching. Like I would always watch and learn, and I would go, you know, I'd watch a basketball game, and then I'd go out into the cul-de-sac. Like if I couldn't watch TV for longer than like thirty minutes because I would watch, you know, a basketball game or basketball highlights. Yeah. And I'd go outside and try to replicate what just happened, right? Um, or now, now with golf, for example, I might see a shot that someone hit and I'll go out on the range and try to do it. Like the Bubba Watson, you know, hook wedge yep. at the masters on 10 in the playoff. <laughs> like, I can hit that shot now, <laughs> you know, and I don't know if I can hook it quite as much as him, but I can, I can hit a slinging 30 yard yeah. hook with a, with a 52 degree because yeah. I watched it. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And then I go try to, I go try to mimic it, you know? And, uh, or like that ridiculous three wood McElroy hit in Abu Dhabi, like uh, last year at some point from like 275 and he just hit it straight up into the sky and it fell down on the, like, I'll go to the range and I'll try to hit that shot, you know? And, uh, or I always try to, I always try to like visualize and imagine like when I'm at the, when I'm at the range or I'm practicing, I'm trying to put myself in situations where visually, you know, you go to a range and there's no water hazards typically. And, you know, so I'm always trying to say, okay, right. I can't miss left of that flag. Right. Like that, that, that flags, you know, let's imagine that flags on the left side of the green. I've got to aim 15 feet right of it but I absolutely mm-hmm. can't miss left, you know, and I'll play like a points game. I'll hit like 10 balls to that spot and I'll try to play like percentages, like, Oh, 80%. If I miss right of that fly, that's good. You know? And I try to mentally imagine like how many birdie looks I'm going to have to that hole, you know, or I'll go in, you know, in the short game area and I'll try, I'll try to take 10 balls and see how many I can get up and down, you know, because now there's so much data and analytics out there around uh, golf, you know, like scrambling percentages and fairways hit yep. percentages and greens and reg percentages. So yep. like I'm trying to compare myself to those percentages and uh, and try to get better and look for areas in my game that, you know, I can improve on. But it, for me, it's always like it's always fun to try to imagine, because if you're just going to the range and you're just banging balls, mm-hmm just to bang balls. I mean, that's how beneficial is that? You know, that's not, you can't take that to the course. You're not going to have, you know, 200 yard wide fairways. You've got to visually imagine like, okay, here's the fairway out there by that sign. Left is dead. You know, if it's a dog leg left, you know, inside the dog legs dead, you've got to miss right of that sign, you know, and you got to, you got to imagine yep. that and take yeah, it to the course, you know, especially now with where I'm at, not being able to play, not being able to get out onto the golf course and play 18 holes often. That's how I enjoy golf right now is I enjoy golf by going to the range, going to the putting green, going to the chipping green yep. and trying to play games with myself, you know, trying to play games and visualize and imagine I'm in a, a certain spot. Um, you know, I'm at the Memorial trying to hit a tiger flop to, you know, inside of five mm-hmm. feet to get up and down, save par and win the tournament yeah, for sure. or whatever it may yeah, be. It was, uh, so. 
Yeah. That's and, fun and to me. It's interesting, like, the way that you kind of laid all that out. So I had um, the director of player development, uh, Coach Jake Zwig, on, from the University of Illinois. Um, he coaches under Lovey Smith out there. And we were talking about – I was giving him an example of some similar, something similar you described with your golf practice, but he termed it as persistent practice. Um, meaning like, you know, you're, you're setting goals that are measurable while you're out there practicing that way you have a way to, to grade yourself. Right. I mean, you're not, you're not on the golf course and your grade isn't the score at the end of the round, but if you're going out to practice with a specific process and, you know, you've got specific challenges or, you know, things that you're creating for yourself to create some competition and fire within yourself, uh, he terms that as, you know, persistent practice because you can measure it and then you can decide how you're going to pivot for the next practice session. Uh, but, yeah, with you being, you know, a busy guy, you know, wife, three kids, you know, full time job, but also wanting to achieve highly athletically, you've got to be really efficient in your time. Right. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Have you ever been out of shape? or fallen out of the routine of accomplishing something just athletically? Uh, what yeah. did that look like yeah, for you? Yeah, I certainly have. Can you talk about uh, it a little bit? Well, yeah, I got, I got, uh, man, I got just kind of bogged down a little bit in the, uh, in the corporate world. And, um, I took a position, uh, like a high executive, like a, I took an executive position corporately and, uh, it didn't allow for any time, like exercise wise, I was working 80, 90 hours a week. And, uh, it was just a tough, it was a tough situation, both, you know, personally, mentally, physically, but also like on, uh, you know, family wise as well. I had a, just had one kid at the time and, uh, wasn't able to like really see her much at all. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of shot up to, I've always, I've never had to watch what I've eaten. And, uh, so I've always, you know, eaten like I was a soccer right. player running seven, eight miles a day. Mm -hmm. And I was always able to kind of burn it off and, and kind of, you know, stay relatively fit. But when I went down there, I just, I was in the car, you know, four or five hours a day and um, going to eat out with clients all the time and ha had no time whatsoever. The only time I would have at home, I wanted to spend with my family. So I shot up and wait and uh, I was like 265 or something like that. And uh, so I decided uh, I, I needed to remove myself from that situation. That's when we came back. My My family and I decided to kind of take a step back, move back to Atlanta. And, uh, I knew I had to do, I had to do something, yeah. uh, drastic. And so that's actually yeah. when I signed up that, that January, I signed up for the, half, the first half Ironman I did. And I knew, I knew if I had that kind of hanging over my head that I would, you know, I would have to put in the work mm -hmm. to even sure. cross the finish line. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and for the first time in my life, I started counting calories and and really kind of watching what I ate. And it's funny, I've um, you know, growing up, I was always of the mindset it was, it was 
80% exercise and 20% what you put in your body food wise. And as I've gotten older, I, I am, I have no doubt yeah. it's completely opposite. It's 80% fuel, what you're putting in your body. And then the 20% exercise yeah, yeah. or 70, 30, you know, and, uh, you cannot outwork <laughs> a bad diet. Like you just can't, you just can't outwork a bad diet. So it's funny because now after going through that whole process, you know, I, like I, seven years ago, I would have never been able to shoot. Even when I was in college, like when I was as fit as I could possibly be as a soccer player, center midfielder running seven or eight miles a game, you know, I, I couldn't have, I couldn't have done an Ironman then like, yeah, there's, there's just no way. But now yeah. with all, all I know, like nutrition wise and, and health wise, like I wish I knew, <laughs> I wish I knew then what I know now, because I think I could have really taken my, you know, ability to the next level, just kind of being smarter about yeah, what for I sure. was feeling. So, my I mean, what would you, you know? I know you're not like a registered dietitian or anything like that, but I mean, what kind of advice do you have for young players just about their nutrition and their, and their fitness? And I guess they're really boils down to routine too, right? Yeah. Routine. I mean, you think about like, uh, I mean, golf, especially like nowadays, you have to, it's a different game, you know, it's a different game than sure. it was before Tiger Woods showed up. Like before Tiger showed up, you know, guys would just show up to tournaments. There were, there were no physios, there were no fitness. Uh, the, these guys weren't, there were no weight rooms on site at the tournaments because it wasn't a priority, but now, yeah, I mean, these guys are all athletes. I mean, yeah. you have to be, you know, you have to be strong. You have to have a strong core. Um, and you have to be able to walk, you know, 18 holes, six to eight miles sure. and be able to hold up, you know? So the fuel that you put into your body has a, has a huge impact on mentally, if you're going to be able to stay sharp and certainly physically, if you're going to be able to yeah. stay sharp. So I feel like that's a, for me, like when I play in amateur events, like actually on Tuesday, um, I played in a state mid-am qualifier and I, I went into a playoff, uh, three for one playoff. I shot two over, went into a playoff to get in. And the two guys I was playing against in the playoff, like I was, I was, we played the par five 18th, uh, and then we would alternate par five 18th and the par four 10th. And, uh, I mean, I was, literally probably 50 yards in front of one guy and probably 75 yards in front of another guy. Uh, and it, to me, it was all was it? Okay. like my fitness level, you know? And yeah. Yeah. And you look at, you look at McElroy, you look at all the, all the top dryer, all the top guys strokes gain driving on tour. I mean, they're all the biggest, strongest guys. They're the most fit. They're the guys that have like worked hard, on their physique and their core strength and, um, and, and everything like that. So yeah, it's of, of paramount importance, especially as a golfer, it's almost like an mm -hmm. X factor, right? It's almost like, 
it's almost like a, an, an an x factor like how how i'm always looking at ways how you, how can you how can you gain a step on on the field right or how can you gain a step on your competition and with golf there's not many people in junior golf and uh and even amateur golf i see it you know i've played in a lot of state ams and us am qualifiers us Publinks, us mid am um there's a very select few that have a uh, have a focus on fitness level and their their ability to you know stay stable throughout the golf golf swing and create consistency there and uh the guys that can do it they're going to raise their level of consistency and raise their level of performance because of it because in golf we all know we're not shooting a sniper rifle when we're hitting the the greens (laughs) we're shooting a shotgun so how uh how how can we how can we bring in that shot dispersion to where you know yeah we're consistent right and one of the best ways you can you can limit that shot dispersion is by having a stable stable core a stable foundation stable balance to work off of and i think it's an x factor to where like junior golfers could really benefit and get a leg up on their competition by you know just by a simple focus on on core and fitness and how you're fueling your body um yeah i do too it's huge back to you know when i was at img just listening to and watching some of the coaches and how they were approaching different players you know especially young players everybody's maturing at different levels um you know physically mentally but from a physical standpoint, you know, the body, depending on how it's fit, is only going to be able to support certain movements, right? And so I think to your point, to create those consistent movements that you need to produce uh, the consistent shot patterns that you need to uh, to be effective and consistent in your scoring, um, you've got to put in the work physically and understand you know, how the body works and how the body moves and, and train it that way. So you can prepare it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I, I, I mean, me and a, a good buddy of mine, um, who's, he's also a scratch golfer. We kind of joke because I mean, on the amateur circuit in, in Georgia, we're probably, I mean, two of the longer hitters out there. And we kind of joke, yeah. like, man, if we can stay fit, if we can stay fit, and strong until we're 50, we could give sure. a run at this champion store thing, you know, because we we're already hitting it further than everyone else. If we can just kind of maintain that. And, uh, and when, when you talk about that X factor, I mean, yeah, that, that could be it, you know? And, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of guys out there that, you know, are, are good golfers. Uh, so you're constantly trying to figure out, okay, how, I mean, look at DeChambeau. There's a reason, there's a reason he's, uh, Mm -hmm. swinging the club at 144 and during quarantine, he went and, and, you know, got loads of club head speed and got a lot stronger and worked his tail off because he, he understands that, okay, that could be a way I can get a leg up. I'm already one of the best in the world. But that, that's a that's an X factor that if I can outwork someone in the gym and physically and stability and core, then yeah. it's going to oh, yeah. make me For even sure. better, you know. And uh, for years, that's why Tiger Woods dominated, because 
he was the only guy on tour or one of the very mm -hmm. few guys, him and VJ Singh. He was another gym rat. They were the two main guys that were in the gym every single day trying to, you know, create that X factor to where, you know, they're on, they're on a different level physically than everyone else. And it, it gives them a huge advantage. There's a big difference between hitting, you know, a four, 480 yard par five, hitting a wedge or nine iron in as opposed to seven or eight iron, especially when the greens are as firm yeah. as, yeah. as they are. Or I had spots, uh, you know? Scott Stallings on a few months ago. And I don't know how much you know about him, but he's huge into CrossFit. And, you know, he's a three-time PGA Tour winner early in his career, um, kind of let his mm -hmm. body go physically for quite a while and, um, you know, had some health concerns because of it and then went on this journey to just become the best version of himself, which a lot of that was pushing himself physically. And, you know, he's a family guy like you, so he's, you know, trying to make sure he's spending a lot of time there. Um, but it's interesting to watch, you know, how hard he's pushing himself and you can see it in his results already this year. You know, we're not that far into the season with having to take a break and everything like that, but he's had some nice finishes uh, this year already. And I think if I had another conversation with him over the next couple of months, he would attribute a lot of it to just all the hard work and training he's been putting in physically. Oh yeah, he looks great. He he practices with yeah. Scott Hamilton yep. up at Cartersville. Yeah, for sure. Cartersville Country Club. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of guys you kind of see creating a, a transformation. I mean, Mickelson's 50 years old. Do you think uh, if he was at his fitness level 10 years ago, do you think he would still be at the level he's he's at right, right. now, or he's able to produce yeah. right now? I don't. I don't know. I mean, yeah. obviously, he's one of the greatest of all time, but there's a reason that he's yeah. put a huge focus on that. And then uh, Gary Woodland as well, trying to slim down. Jason Duffner's done it with uh, – if he yeah, could get the putter sure. sorted out. Well, you even talk right. about your – And yeah, then there uh, there's and lots of guys. About, you know, uh, jokingly, but I think you're actually half serious about – this champions to a run. Um, <laughs> I'm just given your nature and understanding what <laughs> yeah. you've already done up to this point. But uh, yeah, I, I know uh, Colin Montgomery's coach also is actually the director at, uh, of golf at IMG now. And he was, po he posted something yesterday or the day before of Monty out there. They're practicing, I think in Naples this week. And even like, he's he got a new focus on fitness. I mean, he looks like he's slimmed down and lost quite a few pounds. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's bleeding across all the tours. And I think you're right that, you know, that is the X factor, um, you know, just being a better athlete and being able to sustain yourself, not just physically, but mentally. Cause one of the things I've talked about on here too, and I've put myself through some, you know, mental toughness challenges that incorporated, you know, physical components to them, because, uh, I believe and I've come to learn that pushing yourself physically helps you tap into an entirely new mental space. And I've talked about that a couple of times on this podcast. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would agree a hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's yep. baby steps too. Right. So it's like, uh, it's funny when I first started training for my half Ironman, my first half Ironman, 
you know, and I'm here I am 265 pounds and I'm trying to, you know, swim 1.2, bike 56 <laughs> and run a half marathon, which I'd only run yeah. one half marathon at the time, but to try to do that at yeah. the end of all of that. And, uh, I come back at 265 and literally, I'm, you know, right. trying to run two miles, you know, comfortably. And, uh, and then I go out a day or two days later and I'm trying to run, you know, just a little bit further, 2.2. Right. And then I come out the next day and I'm run, trying to run just a little further, 2.4 or whatever. And, uh, and I even do that now and, uh, I'll go out to like the silver comet trail here in Atlanta, which is a trail that runs almost from Atlanta all the way to Alabama. And it's, it's basically built on an old railroad track. And, um, and I'll just, it's out, I just run out and back. And so each time I go out there and run, I'm trying to just run a little bit further. Right. And now I'm, I'm built up to eight or nine miles, you know, very, very comfortably. But if you would have told me, you know, a couple a few months back, mm -hmm. like, Hey, go run nine miles, yeah. you know, that mentally you can't wrap your head around that. But when you're just like, oh, I did, I I did 8.8 right, right. two days ago. I could do nine, you know. So it's like consistently, you know, kind of pushing yourself to to break those mental hurdler, hurdles. Um, you've heard of yeah. Iron Man, yep, Cowboy, right? Iron yeah. Cowboy, uh, James, uh, the triathlete that did 50 oh, yeah, Ironmans sure. in 50 states in 50 days. Yeah, he's got some. Uh, tremendous tremendous stuff on on mental fortitude and pushing the body's mental limits and and physical limits and uh basically his whole premise is our body can do anything yeah. we want it to do physically like uh it's just mentally are we going to be yeah able you make to me think about hurdles, when, you know, yeah for sure when you were talking about it. that my mind i read earlier this year can't hurt me the david goggins book and um I mean, you talk about a guy, that example uh -huh. you were giving about going out and running and you're just trying to run two miles. I mean, he did the same thing. Um, I think when he went out, because he was going to try to run, uh, I think it was called the Hurt 100 or something like that. That's out in like the desert in Arizona. Um, he could only run, I think he went like a quarter of a mile and had to turn around. He said he couldn't even breathe or do anything. And he was up around, I think he was maybe like 350, right. um, but he was, a, he was a SEAL, um, you know, just after he went through some of that SEAL training, then he went into like this serious like bulking phase where, you know, he really wasn't doing any cardio or any, he wasn't in very good shape. He was big, um, but he just wasn't in good shape. And so he kind of reminded me right. of that, but just that whole mentality of just chipping away, right? Just constantly kind of chiseling and chipping away at what you're trying to accomplish yeah trying to get trying to get better and, and trying to mm -hmm. enjoy the process you know because it's yeah. easy to, it's easy to get bogged down um i mean even 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 i'll go to the range sometimes and i'll hit a bucket of balls and I'll, I'll leave and be like, man, what I just was brain dead. I didn't, I wasn't thinking about anything. Yeah. Like what did that accomplish? You know? And, yeah. uh, and I'll kind of regret going to the range and, and hitting a bucket of balls. And then, you know, and then, so you learn from that you go the next time and you, you start focusing on pre-shot routine and not missing in certain spots and kind of visualizing. And then you leave that session and you're like, 
man, that was fun. Like I, I got some stuff accomplished, you know? And uh, so, yeah, just mentally, just constantly trying to enjoy it, make it fun, yeah. play games with yourself um, yeah. mentally in your mind. And, and that way it can, it can translate. Yeah, for sure. Uh, um, as well. Well, I want to move towards wrapping up, but I got two things before, uh, before we wrap everything up. One, uh, what, in your opinion, is your biggest accomplishment athletically? <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Man. Um, I mean, qualifying for that yeah. U.S. Pub Links was pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah, just because... I mean, I, I was, I called my wife after and I was tearing up and I was just like, you know, it was just so cool to, you know, golf was from when I started. Yeah. It was kind of an addiction, an obsession, but, um, I put in, you know, hours and hours and hours of hard work and, uh, on the range and, you know, trying to get to that level. And here I was competing against the, you know, some of the best amateurs in the world, um, And, and so that was pretty awesome. Um, you know, completing the half marathon or, I mean, the half Ironman after, after kind of what I had gone through and kind of, you know, the, the, the burnout physically and mentally I had experienced, that was, that was pretty, pretty awesome as well. Uh, Um, yeah, I'm trying to think, you know, they're all, Trying to choose that is like trying to choose which kid you love the most. You know, it's kind of, it's kind, it's kind of uh, which one of your kids you love the most. It's kind of hard to, hard to choose because you know certain amount of For work sure. went into each one of those. Um, I I was fortunate enough to captain. You know, I was the captain of two national championship teams growing up. And those were, that was amazing accomplishments, but obviously yeah. you're doing that on a team level. Um, so that's, you know, that's probably more of a credit to the yeah. team than, than, than to me. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm trying to think there was something a couple of years ago where I told my wife that it was probably one of the coolest things I've ever accomplished athletically one of the uh, probably the most impressive thing which is silly and no one would know but at top golf okay there's a game called top pressure and basically it's a wedge shot from like you know 60 yards and there's nine quadrants in one of those top golf holes you know and you have 20 balls right so it's like you're trying to play darts and you're trying to knock out each quadrant right one through nine right and you have to you know knock out one through nine to get to the next level and then the point value is double and then you knock out one through nine again and then the point value is triple and then you have to hit nine and eight sequentially right and i i I did that i scored a perfect score on on uh on top pressure which is my favorite game at top golf and uh i don't even know i haven't been to top golf in in a few years but I did that a few years back, and the guys at Top Golf told no me that kidding. no one in the world had ever done that. <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, that's pretty cool." And the funny, the funny thing is, I was there with some buddies, so right. I did it. You know, you have your member card, 
Um, so you have your name tagged to it. So I did it on <laughs> one of my buddy's names because it was after our whole session and his name was still on there. So I was like, oh, I'm going to play top pressure. And I did it on... <laughs> I did it on Zach's card, so his name's on the leaderboard forever um, <laughs> under top pressure. And it's the only game where you can't okay. you can't change the score. Yeah, you know, yeah. like you can't tweak the score. So it's the only one that's like legitimate, I guess you would say. So I told my wife afterwards, jokingly, I was like, "That's probably like the best thing I've ever." Like the most impressive thing I've ever done <laughs> athletically, and she like lost her mind. She oh, that's hilarious! So that's uh. <laughs> that's a good way to wrap this up, man. Um, I think that's a great story. I was actually just a top golf last week, so um, I'm gonna have. I don't think I've ever played that game. I'm, I'm gonna have to go try. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. One more, one more uh, story. So I was, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, coming out of college, I was just like, I knew I was at a point where I was basically a scratch golfer, and I knew I wanted to mm-hmm. delve into tournament golf. Right, so. I started kind of eyeballing all the GSGA events and USGA events and trying to figure out like which one I wanted to play in. Well, growing up, obviously in Georgia, I, I haven't played that at the time. I hadn't played that many courses. So I w- it wasn't like I was really comfortable right. on any courses, you know, like um, there was one course up in Dahlonega where my wife's from, where when we first came back from college, she moved back home to Dahlonega. I moved back to Atlanta and I'd go up and see her and she was a school teacher. I would have days off during the week. And so mm-hmm. I'd go play a course called a Chasta. So I guess about two years out of college, maybe 2010 ish, 2011, I finally, there was a, the tournament schedule came out and there was a, a, a U.S. Okay. amateur qualifier at a Chasta. And so I had shot a lot of really good rounds out there and consistently like really good rounds. So I'm like, all right, if I'm ever going to get into tournament golf, this is the tournament I need to sign up for. (laughs) Well, it was the U S amateur. Nothing like jumping in the deep end. right? I'm like, but I love the course. Yeah. Yeah. But I love the course and I knew I could play well out there, you know? And it was funny, like going into the round, I'm like, you know, I'd read USGA can deny future applications if you're not within 10 shots of the course rating. So <laughs> I'm like looking at the course rating, you know, it's like 74.4. I'm like, all right, I got to break yeah. 84, you know. And uh, so the pairings come out about a week before the USAM qualifier, like in August or whatever. And I'm paired with some guy. I don't know. Uh, well, I didn't know either <laughs> one of them, but I Googled both of them. And one of them played golf at a small college and the other one was Harris English. And so I Google Harris English, don't know who he is. He's still an amateur. And turns out he's the 13th ranked amateur in the world. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what, what am I doing? Like, why did I sign up for this? You know, I'm like, why did I sign up for this tournament? So I'm nervous. Like, I mean, nerves like i hadn't felt since i was like 13 years old and uh so i show up we tee off on 10 at a chasta which has the chesapeake river running down the left and a lake on the right it's probably the toughest tee shot out there and i am like so nervous and hudson swafford's caddying for harris english who i actually knew his name because he had played in the u.s open at pebble pebble beach as an amateur that summer and he had made the cut and played really well. So I'm like, 
good night. Like I'm playing with, yeah, yeah. you know, their best friends at UGA. And so I get on the fir- first tee and uh, I just straight snap hook my drive, <laughs> just dead left, like into the Chesapeake river. I have to, it's a short par four. I had to drop like 220 yards out, have to hit this rope hook four iron, actually hit a great shot to the <laughs> okay. back of the green three putt for double. Right. And then the next hole is like 190 yard par three. I hit it to like 15 feet, can it. I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. Next hole is a dog leg left. I hit three wood, nine iron to like two feet, can it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, I'm back to even. Let's get settled back in. Next hole is like somewhat of a drivable par four, wow. make birdie. And walking, walking to the next hole is a par five. Walking to that next hole, Harris is like, dude, where'd you play your junior <laughs> golf? And, uh, <laughs> I'm like, actually, funny thing, this is like the first golf tournament I've ever played in. And he's like, no way. (laughs) No way. So him and Hudson Swafford, the rest of the round, I mean, they couldn't have been cooler guys. I mean, they were both like just super awesome, cheering in every putt, everything. So I end up, I end up playing well and and playing, uh, playing right with him. Like, uh, I, I ended up shooting like 74 and, and Harris, I think he shot like 68, yeah. 69. And then he shot 67 the next day, qualified for the USM, did well. But that experience, I came away from that like, all right, like I can play. Yeah, I can play yeah. with these guys. Well, it you probably know? calmed your nerves a little too it's, once they kind of figured out that it was your first tournament. It probably like loosened everybody up a little bit too. Or, or the snap yeah. hook into the river calmed my nerves. Yeah, yeah, no, that that, that calmed the nerves. And then I was like, all right, well, I'm probably not going to qualify because I kn- I knew you had to shoot like one, yeah. two, three under, you know, both days. And here I am getting off to like a, a brutal start. So I was like, all right, just settle yeah. in and just yeah. have fun. And uh, golf is the only thing athletically that has really like got my juices flowing. Like you know the the first T jitters, the first T nerves. And I try to explain it to people. No, you can't. can't. Like you can't explain it. And uh, I never got nervous kicking in front of like, you know, I think I played in the Chick-fil-A bowl. There was like 13 million people watching. I never got nervous kicking in front of millions of people or playing, playing soccer in front of thousands of people. Never once got nervous from the time I was 14 years old was the last time I got nervous. And it was in a penalty shootout uh, trying to advance to the to the North American Championships okay. and the Nike Cup. And uh, nothing like those first tee jitters. I mean, I still I still kind of get them like even on Tuesday and like a little tiny, you know, Georgia mid-am qualifier that, you know, doesn't mean that much. I still kind of feel feel the butterfly oh, yeah. a little bit you know Not- trying to trying to manage those emotions on the golf course is is part of the, the fun yeah, it of is. it and nothing know? feels better having that feeling walking up on the first tee and then piping one down the middle um <laughs> you know it kind of suppresses yeah. those a little bit but that's interesting um uh, that's a really good story about that qualifier um yeah i wonder uh if i was able to t- like talk to Harris or Hudson after that I wonder if they I bet they would I think golfers remember everything it's funny I mean just the things that you recalled throughout this conversation and some of the things that I talk about my dad 
you know, I've talked to, I've talked so much golf with him over the last, you know, however many years, but he, uh, he played his college golf at Ole Miss and he could tell you every shot that he hit in, I think every round almost of his entire life. He just remembers all those details. <laughs> um, but it's that kind of a game. I think it pulls that kind of focus out of you. Um, I, it wasn't something I was always really good at, but I've gotten a lot better at it over the years. I think just as my focus and you know mental game has improved over the years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, cool. 100%. 100%. Um, cool. Last thing before we wrap up, one of the things I do at the end is give you as the guest an opportunity to fire something back at me. Question about the show, question about me, um, question about junior golf, golf in general. Um, didn't really prep you for anything, but anything just through our conversation that jumps out that you're curious about that I can answer. Yeah, who's uh, golf-wise, who's been – like the most interesting or insightful, impactful conversation that you've had uh, to help you with one aspect of, of your golf game or another. just in developing my own game. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Um, or your knowledge or whatever it may be. Yeah. You know, it would be tough for me to pick like one single person. My dad's had a huge influence on my game in terms of, you know, getting me introduced to the game and, um, you know, pushing me when I was younger. And we've had a lot of fun playing over the years, and I've learned a lot from him, his demeanor on the golf course, um, his work ethic on the, in the golf course. So, I mean, if I had to pick one person, it would probably be my dad. I don't think it's one specific thing that he's said to me, per se. Um, and then I would say since I shifted to start to work in the golf industry about five years ago, um, I never like growing up, never really had very much technical knowledge of the golf swing. And so I always sure. like my, and my dad didn't really either. He had a you know pretty flat swing when he went to college and he just, he had a bulletproof short game and still does. And um, so he could scrape it around and shoot good scores because of that. And so I was similar in that regard and I never really had a big uh, technical focus, but I would say that, yeah, my, my time over the past few years being or having the opportunity to network in the industry and surround myself with a lot of people in the industry, I've learned more about the game technically, um, which has just allowed me to become more a more consistent player. I, I haven't made any, ever made any major swing changes or overhauls, anything like that, but I've changed my posture a little right. bit, um, which has allowed me to uh, just have a more consistent swing plane um, versus I, I kind of had a swing that was built a lot on timing growing up. And so, you know, as you know, when you move into, right. you know, the professional world and, you know, you're, you're working for a living and, you know, you as a, you know, you've got three kids, like you have to be able, if you're going to be a good golfer to have a repeatable swing. And I felt like I needed to make that right. change to just be more consistent if I wasn't going to be playing and practicing every day all the time. Um, so that's been the most impactful sure. for me just in my own game. But then if I had to pick a person, I would say my dad. Yeah. 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 That's cool. It's, it's funny. I've, you know, I told you I've always learned by watching, so I, I still have yet to have a really? golf lesson. And, uh, really? yeah. So I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll watch, I'll watch others. I'll watch videos and, uh, I'll put my swing on video and, 
and try to basically just try to get get to the spots that I need to get and try to make it, you know, ingrain it into my muscle memory and then yeah. kind of go from there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all, it's all a work in progress. You're always kind of working towards working towards something, something better, something. And that's why, uh, you know, that's why I love, that's why I love golf is because you can always get better when you got Tiger Woods, who's the number one player in the world for years and years, fire a swing coach and hire a different guy because he yeah. thinks he can be better and he completely overhauls his swing. <laughs> that makes golf a really, uh, yeah, it does. <laughs> that, that makes yeah. it, it makes you really think about things, you know, it's like, good night. If this guy is probably the greatest player of all time, thinks yeah. he can be better. You're yeah, ne- you're never absolutely. satisfied. Yeah, that's yeah. what I love about the game. I mean, I think it's yeah. in terms of sports. In my opinion, I think it's the most parallel game to life. Um, and I think that to your point, it's just one of those games where you can always be getting better, always striving, you know, to improve. Um, and it makes it really fun. It makes it really challenging, and it's hard. Um, but if you enjoy that process of, you know, getting better every day, um, I think it's a it's a fun game to play, and you can play it for a long time if you're lucky. Oh yeah. So, well, brother, I really appreciate you doing this, man. I've had a lot of fun and, uh, I can't believe we've been on the phone for an hour and a half, but, uh, I think there's a lot of things that you can pull out of this conversation just from your experience and your knowledge and, um, just your candidness about, you know, the whole process and, you know, your family life, work life balance, all that kind of stuff. Um, that parents are going to take away from this and young players that are listening, I know we're going to pull some nuggets of information out that they can use in their journey. So thanks a lot, man. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, something I said might've resonated with someone and uh, they'll definitely, be better for definitely. it. Well, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, absolutely. Right, take care. Well, that wraps up episode 47 of Junior Golf Keys with our guest this week, Mark Buckles. Uh, Really appreciate Mark joining us and sharing his journey and his expertise. I hope that you guys are able to take away some value from this episode, which um, I would find it hard-pressed to believe that you didn't. So, uh, like I always ask, if you did take away some value from this episode, please share it. Please leave a review. Also, make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss out on some of the exciting guests that we've got coming up. And I hope you join me next week for another episode of Junior Golf Keys.